I realized I'm terrible at um, introducing myself, and it's, it's really funny when I know that they're in here or online. So my name's Matthew. Great to meet you. Um, I'm, the, I'm the, the pastor here right now. Uh, not to say that I won't be the pastor here next week, but what I, what I meant was um, I'm the only pastor right now. We did have another pastor on staff, and um, we were able to release him to go help with replant. I'm not, I'm not quitting or leaving or anything like that. Um, my wife is shaking her head at home right now. So, great. Anyway, well, at least this time I didn't try to get myself fired. So, we are, uh, man, we're in our conversation series again this week. And, man, the train may have just left the building. I could be, I could be toast. Um, but I'm excited about this one today because this is, you know, we've been talking about just uh, times in Scripture where people just had a conversation with Jesus. And what can we learn from that? Uh, last week was fun. We looked at the rich young ruler, and we talked about that his, his story didn't really end like the rest that we had looked at so far uh, because it just didn't, you know, it, it didn't end on a high note. Um, today is, man, today's one of my favorite ways in which Jesus had conversations with people, and there's, there's several places in the text that he does it. Um, but today he's asked a question, he responds with a question, and then he pretty much answers everything with a parable. Uh, because that's what parables were. Most of the time we think that Jesus was just somewhere and he would, he would start spouting a parable, but a majority of the time, parables in Scripture, uh, they're a result of a conversation that was occurring. This is the way that he answered questions. And so we could go into the theological reasons that he did that, um, and that would take a lot longer. But today uh, we're going to look at a different place. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10. Um, and we're just going to look at an exchange that Jesus had with a lawyer. It wasn't the only time that he talked with a lawyer, but it, this was one of them. Um, and I will try to refrain from lawyer jokes. I'm looking around at the people that I know that are here. I don't think, I don't think any of you are lawyers, but there could be some listening, but I will try not to make uh, lawyer jokes like, what do you call 10,000 lawyers jumping off a pier? A good start. We're not going you know, to do that. If you're a lawyer and you're listening, we're grateful for what you do, and, and I'm just an idiot. And so um, sometimes I value laughter more than I do common sense. So anyway, we should probably read text because it's way more trustworthy than my sense of humor this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Like I said, I want to pray, and we're going to jump right in. So God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Um, even in spite of us, God, we know that it can speak. Uh, we thank you this morning that we just get to look at an exchange between a man whose name that we don't know and then Jesus who we do. Uh, Father, I pray that it, would, um, that it would do what your word says that it does, that it will, it will convict us, it will move us to a place that we look more like Jesus, but it will also move us to a place to where we look more like the bride that the groom deserves. Uh, continue to refine us, uh, dress us in splendor um, for the awaiting groom. God, we thank you. We love you. Amen. Uh, so there are some similarities. I'll throw it out. If you were with us last week or you tuned in last week, John, your glasses are really fogged up, and it's, it's funny. Um, not a bit. And, and so there are some similarities between the story last week and, and what we're going to see this week. Last week, we were looking at the rich young ruler, and he came to Jesus, and he asked a simple and kind of understandable question. Um, and, and it would be easy for us to be super religious, stand on a box and say, what a dumb question to ask Jesus. But he just asked, uh, what must I do? What actions must I take? What things must I accomplish in order to have eternal life? Okay, and we talked about that. We talked about where he was coming from, why he asked that, uh, how Jesus kind of redirected the conversation to point at deeper spiritual issues. Today, the question's almost the same, almost the same, but the difference will be uh, what it is and how Jesus is going to redirect and what he's going to redirect to. So uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to start there. Uh, we're going to read just the first couple of verses to kind of give us the setting, and then, then we'll go into the rest. So chapter 10, verse 25 
says, And behold, or look, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. We'll pause right there. And so, like I said, last week, very similar question. Uh, The guy just asked last week, what must I do? What things must I accomplish? What must I do to have eternal life? This guy, uh, he's a lawyer, and so we need to kind of retrain our brains to what we think about lawyers. Most of the time we think about lawyers are, you know, they're agents, not agents, but they work for the state representing kind of our, our constitutional framework, defending the law, using the law, doing all of those things. Lawyers here uh, were lawyers that were uh, schooled, educated, and knew the law of God, like God's law. Like, you know, Ten Commandments being the framework, everything that grew out of that, like these were students of that. And so they were, they were almost clergy, okay? They were almost religious leaders um, because the people of Israel, understand, they were governed by this law. They weren't governed. They were governed to a degree by Greek law, but that was only because they were under Greek occupation. Uh, but for the most part, as they governed themselves, they were governed by the law of God. And so these guys, these lawyers, they were, kind of, they were kind of in league with the scribes and the Pharisees. Some language will even exchange their name with scribes. And so they, were, they weren't teachers, but they were knowers and workers in that law. And so it says that he stood up, this lawyer, and, and he just asked Jesus. He said, teacher, so at least he was giving him some respect um, as a rabbi. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Inheritance would be something that you would get after you died, okay, that was left to you. So he's, he is thinking along the lines that this will be a blessing that will be given to him, but he just wants to know, what, what shall I do? And so nothing's off the rails yet. Everything's good. You know, it's a valid question. We talked about that last week. You know, this is maybe, um, I, I do believe that God has worked through this question or through framing this question. It would not be the way that I would frame the gospel, to be honest, because I believe that, that we have tried to scare people out of hell and scare them into heaven, and that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is uh, turning away from one master, which is sin, yielding over to Jesus so that he can be a good master for us. Um, so, but either way, the question has been asked, and I believe that God's worked through it. And so in this case, a lawyer. Now, there's a good chance, there's a good chance kind of like the text implies, that he wasn't asking for his own sake. Uh, Because of the crowd that he ran around in, there were some threats that were felt by Jesus, okay? If he was in league with the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people, they were threatened by Jesus. Because after all, these guys, these lawyers, these these rabbis in, in the temple, the Pharisees, the scribes, they had been to school for a long time to gain this title rabbi. They had worked to gain uh, disciples. They had done all of these things. And Jesus just comes on the scene, and he's the son of a carpenter whose father people don't even remember his name. Okay, nobody, call, hardly anybody calls Jesus, Jesus son of. No, they call him Jesus from Nazareth because his dad, Joseph, as great of a man as he probably was, he didn't really have any status. And that meant something back in this day. So these lawyers probably looked down on Jesus and they were like, you're uneducated, you're untrained. These disciples you gathered unto yourself, you have no merit for this. And so it's very likely that this lawyer wasn't asking the question because he genuinely wanted to know. He was probably asking the question a lot like some other lawyers that we see in text, um, of just they were trying to catch Jesus. They were trying to trip him up. They were trying to, to smear him to a degree. But either way, the question is asked, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, or he said to him in verse 26, he answers a question with a question. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And why would he ask him that? Well, he's a lawyer. This guy should know. He should know the law. Like he should be, you know, almost to a degree teaching the law, but not quite, but in enforcing the law, keeping the law, you know, arbitrating, doing all of those things. He's like, so you tell me. What's the law say? What does it say? And so he answers in verse 27. He says, well, he quotes the Shema. We talked about it last week. This was the thing that Jesus didn't say to the rich young ruler because he was trying to get the rich young ruler to a place to where he could see that what he was doing was placing something before God. This was the law that he was breaking or, or messing up. But either way, he quoted, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he was quoting the, the Shema, or here, O Yisrael, he was quoting that, which every good Jew would have known and probably every bad Jew would have known. And then he says, and he adds to it, kind of like Jesus did when he was asked by another lawyer before in text, he said, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Good answer. Like, good answer. What we're going to find in this text is we're going to find two things, okay? Uh, the first thing that we're going to find, and we'll talk about it in just a second, is we're going to find that there is, um, there's gonna point, it's going to point us to a need for Jesus, like a big need for Jesus. But then the second is almost going to be instruction in light of Jesus. Because understand, the tension that we walk in as religious people, and, and I, say that not, I say that not as a compliment, but I say it to kind of describe the human framework, because we're all going to gravitate towards some type of religious structure, because it makes sense, it's comfortable, it's repeatable, we can put it on a whiteboard, and that makes us feel safe, okay? So, the normal tendency for uh, religious people, even religious people who are striving to follow Jesus, is at some point um, we will maybe, I, I will maybe veer off the path of grace and I will veer towards legalism. Okay, so the tension that we walk in is do I earn salvation or do I accept salvation? Am I working out my salvation in light of grace or am I working for my salvation because I don't understand grace? Okay, so we have that tendency. And so in this passage, if we didn't take the rest of Jesus' words into account, if we didn't take the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus into account, it would sound very much like Jesus was looking to this man and saying, you can earn this. Because the guy said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what did the law say? And the guy quotes the Shema. He says, well, you've got to love the Lord your God with everything that you have, everything you have, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus answers this, and he says, um, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So it does. Like, it sounds like Jesus is saying, um, hey, okay, yeah, you go and do that, and you're going to be great. Like we talked about last week. Now, there is this hypothetical situation. Like if we could look at the entirety of the law and we could be born and we could keep every ink and nod of the law, if we could do it all, not transgress it to one degree, I believe we would inherit eternal life. But here's the problem. Like we admitted it last week, we have to admit it today. We can't do that. Like we're not capable of doing that. When sin entered the picture, it corrupted all of humanity. We're not capable of keeping the law like that. Even just these two things that he just listed. Like Jesus asked him, well, well, what does the law say? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's great. That's exactly right. Go and do that and you'll live. Here, here's the thing. The first thing that this passage has to do for us, we have to be honest enough with ourselves, and this guy's about to enter into a little bit of debate that reveals his heart. We have to be honest enough with ourselves to say, you know what? I can't do that all the time every day. Like, I, I just can't do it. I'm incapable. 
Now, this isn't saying that God's not worthy. It's not saying that God's not worthy of our love, our affections, our entire heart, our entire life. But this is just an admission of my own human condition, that I am flawed, that I am, I am not perfect, and that I can't do it all the time. There may be days that I can look back and say, you know what, on Tuesday, man, I was, I was 98% good. But even that 2%, hey, that 2% would be enough to separate me from God if it were not for Jesus. I need to admit it. I need to be quick to admit it. Because I need to be quick to acknowledge the beauty, the goodness, and the blessing of grace that I cannot earn, I cannot explain, and I can't fit it on a whiteboard. I need to be able to do that quickly. And so Jesus is about to turn it for this guy. So he said to him, he's like, yep, right answer. Good job, gold star. Now, he's not as lippy as I am. I'm kind of lippy. He's not. Even though with religious people, Jesus did get a little cheeky sometimes, and and it makes me smile until I realize I'm, I'm probably one of those religious people that he would have gotten cheeky with. But either way, he says, good job. That's the right answer. Go and do that, and you'll be fine. But here, here's, the, here's the human heart. It comes out in the very next verse. Verse 29. But he, being the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, huh, Who is my neighbor? Now we got a problem. Imagine this. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Imagine a lawyer trying to find a loophole because that's just what happened. A lawyer tried to find a loophole. Like, we think about loopholes. Do you know what a loophole actually came from? Uh, It came from, like, um, an old word that meant, like, arrow slit or arrow sliver in in the side of a a castle, in the side of a castle wall. It was those little bitty slits or openings that an archer could release an arrow through. They didn't have releases back then, but they they would let an arrow go through the wall of that castle. And and then later, musketeers would use those same castles, and they'd stick their muskets out those castle walls, and, and they would be able to shoot at people when they were coming in. It was a way out of an impenetrable wall. Loophole. Loophole. The lawyer said, okay, okay. Love the Lord your God with everything you got, bottom of your foot, all the way to the top of your head, and everything in between. Love your neighbors yourself. Okay, wait, 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 Jesus. What, what do you mean when you say neighbor? Let me describe the culture then, okay? And I'm not going to substitute words, but I want us to be honest with ourselves and see if it sounds familiar. It's easy and acceptable to love a neighbor as long as they're like me. It's easy and acceptable to love a neighbor as long as they think like me, vote like me, look like me, are from the same place as me, maybe have a similar socioeconomic background as me. Yeah, I'm going to love those because those are my neighbors. A brother of mine, I'm a brother too. Neighbor. See, the culture at the time for Israelites and Hebrews in general is, yeah, I'm going to love my neighbor as long as those neighbors are Jewish like me. As long as they're from the same place, as long as they worship the same, as long as they think the same, yeah, they're, they're my neighbor. I'll love them. So Jesus, yes, I'm good. I'm good, Jesus. If it's love the Lord your God with everything you got, I'm good. Hey, Jesus, if by neighbor you mean what I think you mean, uh, which is what I mean, everyone that looks like me, thinks like me, votes like me, uh, then yeah, I'm good. I got it. And so he could have walked away, but he didn't. He said, but what do, you, what do you mean by my neighbor? And so Jesus could have just said, well, you know what you think about your neighbor's wrong, but he didn't. Instead, he told a parable, which will be the second part. And so he told this parable. He said this in verse, 20, in verse 30, in response to, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, he said, And by the way, it would be so funny if we started answering questions like this. If my son asked me about cutting the grass, I would love to be able to tell him a parable that would point him towards, yes, you have to cut the grass today. (laughs) I need to figure that out. 
um, because that would be great. Now, Caleb's nine, and, you know, he's learning to cut the grass. He's been my apprentice this summer. Next summer, I'm going to release him to hopefully not cut his feet off, but I need to figure out a parable to tell him, yes, you're going to cut the grass today. But either way, Jesus, Jesus answers. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, called the road of Jericho, and it says he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, we're going to, call, we're going to pause right there at the comma. Um, so right here at this point, you've got to understand, the culture, a lot different from us. We just hear words. We just hear titles. Right here, this Jewish guy, this Jewish lawyer would have been like, all right, let's fight. You know, if he would have been from South Carolina, because to be honest, you got to understand, a lot of people that aren't from South Carolina don't understand. If you're from South Carolina, you were born into rebellion, okay? We've rebelled against good causes and bad causes. We were born to rebel. People don't understand it, but I was talking to a pastor the other day, and they were like, I don't understand why South Carolinians, South Carolinians just, you know, get so upset. And we just sat there, we were like, man, we were born rebels. Our forefathers were rebels. You know, they rebelled against England. They rebelled against the country. They rebelled a lot. And so anyway, this guy right here was like a South Carolinian. He was like, all right, I'm ready to fight. Just at the word Samaritan. Just at the word Samaritan. Because you've got to understand, going way, way back, Samaritans were considered like half-breeds. They were considered dogs to the Israelites because they, were, they grew up kind of with a Jewish tradition, but then they veered off a little bit, and they began to, there began to be some tension there, major tension, tension that led to death, tension that led to beatings, tensions that led to desecrations of temples, like major tension, like the biggest tension you can imagine. Like, way more than Clemson USC. Like, multiply that times dead. I mean, really bad. And so as soon as Jesus was telling this parable, this lawyer who was quite Jewish knew everything about being Jewish. I mean, just below a teacher, just below a Pharisee, when he heard this, I'm like, I'm sure the hairs on the back of his neck and on his beard stood up, and he's like, all right, let's fight. Let's go. I don't know nothing that you just said, but I'm ready to fight. You know, that kind of thing. So... Up until now, man was taken. He was walking down the road to Jericho. This road, by the way, is about 18 miles. Um, 18 miles, and it's down half a mile from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was up. Jericho was down. And you would walk down, and it wasn't straight, and there were no trees. It was just rocks and sand and heat, and it was hot and nasty, and it was dangerous. Like, it's not a road that you, it's, it's one of the roads that people would do like an adventure race on now. Like, Bear Grylls would be hosting a show. Let's run up this road. It's that bad. Okay, so you would go down, and there would be big rocks, and guess what would happen? People would wait behind those rocks for you to come by, and they'd jump you. They'd beat you. They'd rob you. They'd do everything. They may even leave you for dead, and that's exactly what happened to this nameless guy. Now, we don't know for sure, uh, because again, it's a parable. We don't need to read too deep into it. We don't know for sure whether this guy was Jewish or not. Jesus just said, a certain man. Now, it's very likely that when he started the parable, the audience would have interpreted this certain man to be like them because that's their partiality. It's running deep right now. So they probably assumed that he was talking about a Jewish man. And why would Jesus not? If it's just a man, most likely he's referring to a Jewish man. If he's a Samaritan, he's going to refer to him as Samaritan. If he's Greek, he's going to refer to him as Greek. But since he didn't add a title, it's assumed that he's Jewish. So he says a priest walked by, saw the guy, and basically just stepped over him. Because by the way, the road wouldn't be very wide. It's not like a developed road. It's not like I-85. It's more like the dirt road that you leave to get to your deer stand kind of a thing, except straight down and there's no trees and there's no deer. And so just not a good road. And so it's, it's, it's most likely they would see this guy laying there, naked, beaten half to death, and the, the priest just kind of looked at him and was like, ooh, no, and kind of stepped over, kept going. 
And then a Levite, who would have been by the priestly order, same guy, another very, very religious guy, probably leaving the same place, the temple, he sees him. And he's like, ooh, mm-mm, nope, didn't bring my gloves today, and just steps over. <laughs> Verse 33, but a Samaritan, remember, let's fight, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion favorite transliterated English word in the New Testament because it literally means a stirring in the bowels. <laughs> I mean, that's what it means. It really means like something happens in you and your gut does something. It's not an emotion. It's not just feeling for someone. No, no, no. It's like a feeling that's in your gut that says, I got to go. I got to do something now. Like I got to do something. So it said he sees the guy, a Samaritan of all people. Let's fight. A Samaritan sees him, has compassion. And he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring, oil on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii or two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, uh, I will repay you when I come back. So this guy, a Samaritan, if this was a Jewish guy sitting on the road, here, here's one thing that you have to acknowledge. Nobody would have even really known because the only way you would have identified someone as being Jewish was probably the clothes that they wore or the language that they spoke or the words that they used. But this guy was beat half to death. He's not saying a word, and he's stripped naked, so there's no more clothes. And so most likely looking at him, he probably wouldn't have even known that he was Jewish. But either way, he looks at him. He didn't ask where he's from. He didn't ask what he was doing there. He didn't ask anything. He just he looked at him and said, i gotta, I got to do something. I need to do something. And so it says he poured his own oil, he poured his own wine, and then he put him on his own animal. Granted, 18 miles, downhill, rough. A donkey would have come in real handy. He said, but I, oh, I'm going to take care of him. And then he takes him to the inn, and he gives him two days' wages. Why that? Because that's probably all you would carry. I mean, imagine our standard economy. I don't, I'm not a cash person, but um, Dave Ramsey says I should be, but I fight it because I, I spend cash, and I don't like change in my pocket. But either way, like... Uh, Probably two days' wages is about what most people carry in their pocket. That's probably all he had. But then he said something else. He basically said, anything else he needs, put it on my tab. Man, it confronts so much about how we love people right here. Like, I don't even want to give away the ending, but remember the question. Like, remember the question. The lawyer said, hey, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, what's the law say? He said, love the Lord your God with everything you got and your neighbors yourself. He's like, yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Go and do that. And he's like, but wait, 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 wait. Who's my neighbor? And then instead of saying who his neighbor was, instead of doing that, he's going to show him what a neighbor does. He's going to show him what a neighbor does, not who is my neighbor. Basically, he's telling the guy, he's like, by the way, you're asking the wrong question. Instead of saying, this is your neighbor, he's saying, no, 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 watch what a neighbor does. I think it's so easy for us to love to a point, right? It's so easy for us to love with maybe what we have in our pocket. But what about when we have to extend credit? Put it on my tab. Man, love's easy when I can take care of it right here, when it's not a huge inconvenience. But this guy's like, you know what? Take care of him. Here's all I got on me. If he needs anything else, I'll come back and I'll pay you whatever it takes. Put it on my tab. Now, Augustine believes that this particular parable is an allegory about Jesus. I'm, I'm not fully on board with that, but I can say this. This is how Jesus did it. 
if we want to think about how a neighbor really loves, like look at Jesus. Jesus basically said, you know, all y'all, you're on my tab. Same idea. He's like, look, I'm going to take care of you one by one as I come near you. I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to heal your sickness. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of every one of those things. But guess what? You have a debt that you can't pay, and I'm going to cover it. I will put you on my tab. I will cover your debt. Man, if we want to look to somebody and say, what does it look like to be a neighbor? Hey, we can look to the Samaritan, but we can look past the Samaritan to Jesus too and be like, ooh, I'm not a very good neighbor at all. I'll bake cookies, but I'm not going to the store to get the stuff. I better have it in my fridge already. One of those tubes, you can slice it off, here you go. But sorry, that's a terrible example because those cookies are delicious and everybody loves those. He said, put it on my tab. And then Jesus asked another question. Verse 36, he said, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the guy that makes you want to fight, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Pay attention to his words in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't say it because he wanted to fight. He said, but, uh, you know, stroking the beard. He's like, uh, that one who showed mercy. And then he said, you go. Do the same. So the first part of the story, the first part of this exchange, it has to point us to this. And we talked about it last week, and we'll talk about it every week. But it has to point us to the fact that we can't fix ourselves. Okay, as, as much as we know the law and as much as we know all the boxes that we should check, there's just no way that we can legitimately do it. It's not humanly possible. Like, we have to be honest enough with ourselves. That's the exact same reason that this guy was like, oh, wait, 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 Who, who's my neighbor? Because he knew, even in himself, that he couldn't really even do what the law was asking. He knew he couldn't take it on himself, so he wanted to bring neighbor into the circle that was doable for him. First part, we have to understand that, like, man, this is what grace is. I can't fix myself. Jesus can. Jesus wants to put my debt on his tab and pay for it because I'm not capable. Man, but here's the second part, and, and we'll stay on that all you want. Like, if you want to meet me for coffee and talk about that, I would love to talk about your tab, okay? I'd love to talk about my tab, and I'd love to talk to you about the fact that Jesus, man, he will pay it all in full, and you don't have to earn a thing. Like, I want to talk about that with you, okay? And we're going to get to see two, two kids exclaim it in a few weeks. Be here for that. All right, moving on. Here's the second part. The more religious we get, the greater the chance that we can step over people that are not like us. Feel me. The more religious we get, the greater the chance that we can step over people that don't look like us. See, religion is this beautiful, ornate, well-carved box that we fully understand. But grace is this concept that's bigger than our hearts can grasp. And Jesus came to live out the law because he knew that we couldn't. And so when we let that box take hold of our of our drive and of our force, it becomes easy to even redefine what it means to be a neighbor, what it even really means to define who a neighbor is. The definition of that neighbor gets real small and real homogenous. Problem is, Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, and he didn't say only the neighbors that look like you, think like you, vote like you. 
He said, just neighbor. And that was around since Leviticus. And by the way, him just saying, hey, go and do that, he's, he's quoting an idea from Leviticus that this guy would have been very familiar with. <clears throat> I think we need to ask ourselves, <clears throat> am I stepping over people in need because they're not like me? And in a time like this, man, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We've talked about it like, whew, man. I mean, I feel like we are sitting on like three or four different powder kegs in this country right now and just waiting to blow up. Division everywhere. And we're being told, I'm not even going to lay blame on anywhere, but this is the perception that there's a line and you need to pick a side. And there's only two, chance, two choices on all of these issues for some reason, which is kind of weird. Because guess what? There's a lot of doors in a building. But in all of these cases, the powder kegs, there's, there's basically just two sides. You've got to pick a side. And if you pick a side, everybody on the other side's wrong. Man, I don't think that's us. I don't think the church can function like that. I don't think Jesus functioned like, like that. By the way, if Jesus was picking a side, he would have been like, hey, here's the side of the right, and everybody else is on the wrong. But he said, he said, you know what? I'm going to step over the line, and I'm going to die so that people may know the one true God and his son whom he sent and be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. If you can just, man, leave one master and choose a good one. I think it's easy for us to step over people in need because they don't even look like us. But guess what? Man, we do it just kind of naturally. We even use excuses like this. Well, you know what? Someone's probably better equipped to take care of them than I am because, you know, I don't understand them. I don't understand where they are, you know, and they, they probably would get offended if I tried to help. Um, or, you know, it just, it, just, it just might lead to problems. The Samaritan stopped for a Jew who would on every other day probably want him dead. <laughs> There's a lot of problems there. But compassion dictated that he stop. Love for a neighbor dictated that he stop. So I think the first question is, be honest with ourselves and say, are we, or ask the question, are we stepping over people because they're, they're different than us? Look different from us, vote different from us, think different from us, align different from us. It doesn't matter. Are we stepping over anyone? And I think the, the, good, the good chance is the answer is yes. Like, that's the best case, and that's the, the most logical answer is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. They don't look like me, so I'm, I'm kind of afraid to serve. I'm kind of afraid to take care of a need. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to dress their wounds and, and, and put their stuff on my tab. I'm kind of afraid to do that, okay? That's probably the most logical and, and most likely answer. But in the event that that's not the case, um, and, and you're not even seeing people that are unlike you, maybe that is the chance. Maybe that is the case. Maybe your circle of life is so small that you only see people that look like you. Okay, maybe that is the chance, and, and that's, that's a possibility. I think it's small, but it's a possibility. I think the greater possibility is that these people are around, but we don't even see them because we're only looking for people like me. So we don't see people that are different from me. We don't see their need. We don't see an opportunity to help. We don't even acknowledge that they're our neighbors. We would ask that same question of Jesus. Well, yeah, okay, but who's my neighbor? But maybe there is a chance that your circle is just so small you really don't see people different from you. I, I would challenge us to do this. If that's me, if that's you, we need to broaden our circle. We need to figure out a way to get out of our bubble. If we're living in a bubble to where really everyone in it looks like you, uh, you're either in a cult or you need to get out more. <clears throat> and if you're in a cult, you, you need to get out more. Um, but if you need to get out more, you need to get out more. You need to figure out a way. And I don't think that, 
I don't think we pursue people different from us just because they're different from us, but I do think this. Like, if we want to see like Jesus, think like Jesus, love like Jesus, we need an opportunity to do that. And it's incredibly easy to love people that look just like us, think like us, vote like us, do all those things like us. That's not much of a challenge. And by the way, the Great Commission, just, just so you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Great commission. We find at the end of Matthew, continued in Acts, he's like, hey, go, therefore, start where you are. Go a little bit further. Go a little bit further to where people hate you, you hate them, and then go as far as you can imagine uh, making disciples. And so if we're not doing that, number one, we're being disobedient. Number two, we really don't believe that God came and sent Jesus to save all people in all places at all times, in all cultures. So we have a much bigger problem. So maybe you need to get out more. Here's number three. And this is where it gets tense. We may need to confess bias, prejudice, and partiality. Because James 2, pretty clear, James 2 calls partiality a sin. Like if we're giving preference to someone else over another based on their appearance or their status, yeah, that's called sin. Makes us really uncomfortable. Do you know there's a lot of isms that fall under that category of prejudice? There's racism, sexism, classism, all those isms. Maybe the first step is admitting, I got some isms. Sin of partiality. Maybe the first step is just saying, you know what? Hey, Jesus, these are real. I feel it. Forgive me. Heal me. Help me to leave these at the cross and not go back. It's never fun to be told that we've got sin in our life, but I guarantee, man, and I'll even challenge you, if you're sitting here or if you're sitting somewhere and you can say, I don't even believe that racism exists, man, I don't even think that we can look, or any of the isms, I don't even think we can look beyond, beyond our human heart and say that. Like, we have to be open enough, A, to, to admit that we can't do this on our own, we must have Jesus, and B, that sin exists, and sometimes they rear their head in my life in the form of partiality, in the form of prejudice, in the form of, of, of sin. We have to be willing to admit it, and then not just admit it, but confess it, repent of it, turn from it, and when it rears its head again, because most likely it will, do the same thing again. Admit, confess, repent, whatever the ism may be. then I think we need to figure out what it looks like to be a good neighbor. I mean, like a really, like a a biblical good neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Want the same good for them that you want for yourself. What does that look like? I think ultimately that good rests in Jesus and Jesus alone, but in order to get to Jesus and Jesus alone, we may have to build steps, we may have to build bridges, we may have to fix roofs, we may have to cook meals, we may have to do anything that says I love you in order to get to the point to say, and Jesus loves you more. What does it mean to be a neighbor? How do we do that? I think now more than ever, <clears throat> man, the church needs to be living this out big. I think it's going to be our best apologetic, and apologetic is just simply the way that, not that we persuade or convince, but a way that we reveal Jesus to people. Ultimately, the Spirit of God does that, but he works through people. Romans 10 tells us that and assures us of the responsibility that we have to do that. I think now more than ever, man, we need an apologetic of being good neighbors. 
like great neighbors, not just to the people across the street, but to the people in the cubicle beside you, to the people in the Sphinx where you get your gas station or QT, I don't want to start a fight, uh, whoever they may be, people that are close to you proximally and relationally, they're your neighbors, and we're called to love them. How do we do it? How do we do it better? How do we do it best? And how do we do it to where, man, we really do want ultimate good for those people, and that rests in Jesus, in Jesus alone. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of, man, the power of grace. The unimaginable riches that rest there uh, in knowing and claiming Jesus as Lord. God, I thank, you for a, I thank you for a painful parable that maybe does confront our religious heart. Maybe it confronts our, our sin of multiple isms. Um, but God, ultimately, a, a story and a parable that points us to the fact that we need you and, God, that we need to love like you really well. God, I pray that you would give us uh, supernatural vision to see our neighbors, to love our neighbors, uh, to want ultimate good for our neighbors. And, God, that you would give us the ability, not just the vision, but the ability to, to pursue them, to love them well, not to love them as projects, but to love them as your creations, whoever they are, however they are, wherever they are. God, move in your people. Make us look more like the heart of Jesus on display for a world that so desperately needs it. Thank you for a city that you've placed us to serve in, you've placed us to love in. I pray that we could uh, accept the job, the role that you've given us, and run with it. To the glory of God forever. Amen.